the Almeida Theatre podcast. Hello and welcome to a new Almeida podcast. It's my great privilege to be here with uh, Khaled Abdallah, who is a... Uh, an actor and uh, an activist and uh, an interesting mind. Uh, he's uh, part of our Duchess of Malfi company in rehearsal at the moment, uh, so that's exciting. And he's also here at the Almeida for the second time this year, having been with us uh, in Anne Washburn Shipwreck uh, earlier this year, um, which was uh, a wonderful performance in a, in a really fantastic play. So Khaled, welcome. It's a real pleasure to be here, thank you. Um, so you've had um, a kind of really interesting career, uh, both as an actor and in other parts of your life, but I thought maybe we should start by, like, how did how did you when did you first know you wanted to be in the arts or a performer or was it in your family at all? Or? No, not at all. It was at school, uh, and a teacher came up to me one day, and he was doing a play. He was doing "Observe the Sons of Ulster, Marching Towards the Sun," Frank McGuinness play, and he thought I'd be good in it. And mm -hmm. I told him he was crazy, because I hadn't done anything since Nativity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went and auditioned, and I got the part. And I remember the first rehearsal in a classroom. We just pushed all the chairs to the side, and there was a square in the middle. Mm. I was the second character on. And I remember the first actor walking on stage, and the play starts, you have to make a mess. It's a set in the mess, and he has to, he walks in and it's very tidy. Mm -hmm. So he decides to make a mess. Mm -hmm. And out of thin air, there was this mess made. Mm -hmm. And I remember having that little giggle inside me of, mm -hmm. wow, this is play. Yeah. And I've always remembered that moment, and mm -hmm. I think pretty much from that moment I was hooked. Mm -hmm. um, there was another teacher, Philip Swan, who actually sort of comes around to the Almeida. Yeah. Um, he, he, he lives locally, and he was the first person to bring me to the Almeida. Uh -huh. And he was the person that really, uh, that, that brought me into, mm -hmm. that brought me into theatre. He had a small, he had a company mm -hmm. at my school. You know, used to go up to the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm -hmm. He had four consecutive five-star reviews and a West End transfer with a bunch of schoolboys. Wow. Okay. And so that, that's really where it began. And at me. what point were you thinking, oh, this is something I might do professionally? <sighs> to be honest, <laughs> from the first performance. Uh-huh, really? Great. So from the first performance, I was, I was, I was hooked. Mm -hmm. And I guess around that time, I was clear and going up to Edinburgh. And mm -hmm. it was, I don't know, I, I guess there were some precocious experiences that we had at, at, at Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I directed a play as well, and it did very well, and all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty clear that that was the path I wanted to follow, not least as well, because up until that moment, happened to come for me just before GCSEs. Mm -hmm. uh, just before choosing A-levels, sorry, at the end of GCSEs. And I, um, and the, the path I had set for myself, not my parents at all, who were both doctors, was that I was kind of going into the sciences and medicine and all of that. And then suddenly theatre opened this door for me that I wasn't expecting at all and surprised me. And how did your parents feel about that? They've always been supportive. Mm -hmm. They've always been supportive. They were always supportive. I guess they saw me on stage and thought I was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, they were worried. Yeah. They were worried at, at certain stages. They were, they were worried. And, you know, some of those worries have come back to haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> but... About um, what? 
Well, I, I guess they, you know, I guess they had these early feelings as to whether someone of my heritage and of being a person of colour, what that would, you know, what future that would give me in this profession. And, what, and did, did that ever cross your mind, like when you were a student or, or did you? No, I had, I had my rude awakenings later. <laughs> so, so what was it like when, I guess, so you graduated when, 2000? I graduated from university 2003. And yeah, no, I entered first year of university, 9-11. I left university uh, straight after the beginning of the war in Iraq. And so, and so what was it like being a, an a Egyptian heritage actor coming out at that point? Did you, because what was the, you were immediate, when was United 93? United 93 was 2000 and, it was shot 2005. Right, took quite soon. Came out 2006. Yeah, I didn't expect to have any relationship with film whatsoever. Mm. I expected theatre to be my, my world, principally because most representations of my kind of identity, on, of Arab identity broadly on film, were not ones I wanted to be part of. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I thought I'd be predominantly in theatre, but, but United 93 mm. upturned both those presumptions, and mm -hmm. it was meeting Paul and having a, a very, very extraordinary conversation mm -hmm. with him, which came down to a very simple question. And this is like, you know, just under five years after 9-11 had happened, where I walked in and basically said, if you're making the film that I'm worried you're making, I don't want any part of it, and I don't think it should be made. And I, I said that in stronger terms. And what film did you? This is Paul Greengrass. And what, what, the, the, for those who don't know, United ninety three addressed the uh, yeah. the uh, hijacking of the the plane of, that was yeah. grounded uh, or brought down. Yeah. Um, so, what film did you fear he was going to make? I feared he would make a. F well, I, I feared it would be a film that uh, that that incited uh, hatred mm -hmm. in forms of one form or other that didn't bring you closer in any way to asking the questions why. Mm -hmm that uh, that uh, that created easy monsters to mm. to demonize. you know to well, mm. not, well not, not just demonize and dehumanize but also further kind of legitimize in a way the uh, the well, you know, the exploitation, the, 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 the problems, the war in Iraq, you know, all of that. And, and, and what, what did he say that reassured you? He asked me a question. He said, do you think it's possible to make this film correctly? Mm. Which was an extraordinary question. Mm -hmm. And we started then talking about one of my favourite films, The Battle of Algiers. And he pitched the film to me in a way that, that, that convinced me. And did you feel a great responsibility through the shooting of... And that was it. It became, well, if I'm going to do this, then I have to carry the responsibility. I mean, I left the audition shocked. Mm -hmm. I was like, shit, if he offers me the role, mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. And I've later heard from him that he was worried that I wouldn't accept the role. Mm -hmm. And, and it, yeah, it, it became a matter of having to take on the responsibilities that that that, that came with it in mm -hmm. in all territories and that in itself has taken me on a kind of bizarre path and was in itself also a baptism of fire mm -hmm. um into you know what the world of what we do yeah 
how it can, you know, how it could be so close yeah. to events, to people, to... Yeah. And, did that, and after that, did you just get hundreds of offers to play? Um, no. Bad guys on Homecoming or... No, that? not at all. No. Uh, no. I mean, the, <laughs> I mean, the funny story in relation to that was actually the, the red carpet, but... Um, wow. Which was my well, that was my first ever red carpet, and I didn't know what a red carpet was. I thought it was just something that you turned up to and walked down. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, there'd been no introduction as to the whole thing, and there were so many people in the cast that it was just sort of we get you a ticket, and mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and I was told that someone I can't remember her name. I think it was June. Mm -hmm. June's going to walk you down the red carpet, and I was like, well. I'm sure I can do that myself. <laughs> and then immediately was had June take me to the first person. I don't, I can't remember. CBS, whatever. It's CBS News. How does it play? How does it feel to play the most hated man in America? <laughs> <laughs> Microphone in my face for mm -hmm. thirty minutes. You know, uh, thirty meters rather of, mm -hmm. of essentially those those kinds of questions and and. Uh, you know, none of them expecting this accent <laughs> <laughs> to be the one that responded to yeah. them and none of them expecting, you know, I mean, it was a film made with an extraordinary amount of humanity. Mm. Uh, and everything that built out of that mm. was, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a half hour of its own, really. And, and what was your, I oh, forgive me, I don't, was your character Saudi or, or, or? No, my character was, my character was Lebanese. He was right. a guy called Ziad Jarrah. He was the only one of all of the. He, that that plane has a very particular story. Mm -hmm. He was the only one of all the hijackers that had tried to pull out. Mm -hmm. He called his girlfriend just before to say "I love you," mm -hmm. um, and all. And it was the only plane. In all of them, the hijackings took place within mm -hmm. five minutes of the seatbelt sign going off. Yeah. And in this one, there was I think a twenty-something minute delay. Right. And in that delay is essentially the, the, the you know you presume something happened with him. Right, and so you're yeah. carrying, you're carrying all of that complexity. Yeah, um, and and how and how I mean, uh, what, what do you feel as a somebody of Egyptian background about the ca casting in a wider sort of Arabian or, or Middle Eastern context, and, and what do you, what do you feel about the politics around that? Um, I mean, I range. I mean, I'm happy that we're having the moment that we're having now. Mm. Um, I've come to kind of the, the the simplest way I've come to describe it in some ways is, you know, I think that there's uh, there is a great value to colorblind casting, mm -hmm. but I also think we need colorful casting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think there is a difference between those two. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're kind of moving forward. Uh, in terms of the areas in which things are more colorblind, mm -hmm. but I think for things to be more colorful, that means that means having having the kinds of stories and opportunities that allow the depth of stories underneath these different identities to have a place within our culture. For that not to be uh, for that not to be challenging to mm -hmm. us. For that some, for that to be something that we search out. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that, really, I mean, when you're doing a piece like Such as Amalfi, you know, like a pure classical piece, do you, where do you, what responsibility is it for the actor to situate that colour blind or colourfulness in their performance? I mean, do you, does that come into your decision making about choices you make? 
I mean, yes and no. Mm. I mean, interestingly, we haven't had the conversation about color yet in right. in, uh-huh. in 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 uh, in the rehearsal room. Mm-hmm. We did mm-hmm. in shipwreck, sure, because mm-hmm. it was you know because it was it was there. Mm-hmm. And it's a very difficult conversation. It's a very difficult conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you were very articulate about, especially, I guess, of course, particularly because Anne's play was A, contemporary, and B, forcefully political, that it would be... Um, and in fact, your character, of course, was almost not referred to in terms of their, yeah. their background at all, compared yeah. to Fisaya's character. Uh, but the importance of not ignoring yeah. your your... Yeah, specific identity, and I, you know, as with Malfia, you know, faith is part of that play. Is that yeah, yeah, part yeah, no, of no. The I mean, there's a, there's a moment where one of the where where Ferdinand says, I, I question if the if the brats, the children of Antonia and the Duchess, were ever christened. Yes. <laughs> and every time that line goes through, there's a there's a part of me that hears that. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I mean, actually, the way that I find it that, that I find it present in the play for me mm-hmm. uh, is in the extent to which the play is really about a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. It's about, a, a, in some ways, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a deeply corrupt world, mm-hmm. the, the hope for a kind of equality and meritocracy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is, in many ways, this is the first classical play I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a long time, uh, and I, I mean, to go back to, to go back to your question in a way, I, there are many, for, you know, I, I don't know what to call it. It's sort of awkward. There are, there are f- the rude awakening that, that I was talking about earlier. I, you know, I, I do feel that if I were of a different colour, mm. I would have had a different journey. Right. And at the same time as uh, the fact that my colour and background has opened up doors mm-hmm. that I have relished in walking through and enjoying and I feel immensely, immensely privileged, mm. yet at the same time I feel that other doors have that, 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 I, that I thought might be open for me haven't been mm-hmm. and it's a strange it's been a it's been a strange journey mm-hmm. in in kind of discovering that and i and i and i have felt that uh the i have felt actually that the, the recent wave of of more attention to call it diversity or mm-hmm. call it whatever we call it right now um has kind of Returned me to a place that that I'd almost begun to think had gone. Mm-hmm. That's um, great. Back to the Sons of Ulster. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, what I'd love to also to touch base on is, is you, you. So you had this, uh, I guess, sort of sudden and fantastic screen career in the United ninety three, the um and then, well, a little bit after that, I guess, was the beginning of the Arab Spring and. What was going on in Egypt, particularly in the country of your parents? Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your thoughts about whether you were going to get involved in that and how that put a, uh, a sort of corner in your yeah. in your career and how that came about? Yeah, I mean, I I was already in Egypt just before 
I mean, not just before, from, from about 2008, I had been uh, approached to, to be part of a film called in the, which ended up being called In the Last Days of the City, which we shot, it took about 10 years to make, mm -hmm. and we shot for the two and a half years, as it turned out, uh, before the revolution kicked off. So we finished shooting literally six weeks before the revolution started. Wow. And uh, I come as well from a family that has been politically active on the left in Egypt since the 1950s. Mm -hmm. um, so as soon as, you know, and the film was called In the Last Days of the City <laughs> before the revolution had started. So this sense of foresight was kind of embedded inside it and we'd shot pretty much every demonstration that had taken place over the two years previous. I had just returned to London thinking right now is my time to be back in, in the UK. This film has taken much longer than I expected it to. Uh, the revolution started. I was on the plane the next day to catch the, what ended up being called the Friday of Rage, the 28th of January, which was the huge beginning of what was called the 18 days. Um, it has changed my life. Mm -hmm. it's, changed who, it's changed who I am. It continues to be an essential part of me. And how long were you in Egypt for that, that period? I was in Egypt until 2016, predominantly. Wow. So that was, what, five years? 2008 to 16. Wow, wow. That, most of that time, I was predominantly based there but keeping my mm -hmm. life open. And what did yeah. you, were you thinking of yourself still, this isn't too conceited, as, as a storyteller within that context? Or, or, or a direct political activist, or, or was there not a distinction? No, 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 I mean, I was, so through this film, we set up a production company, and first of all, making films. Um, I then became, along with others, a founder of a, alternative media collective and we called Mosurin and we were documenting, filming, um, you know, citizen journalist type thing, but also creating an open space for various campaigns and other things to work through. And f yes, fundamentally throughout that, and I, and I was working both in fiction, in documentary, in journalism, and sort of balancing this life between here and there and I don't know, being on the news, doing, you know, various interviews and stuff, is, yeah, it's, it's about narrative. Mm -hmm. And uh, in many ways, the, you know, the Arab Spring is a complicated term, but Arab Spring, amongst many other things, is also a kind of complete, uh, in terms of the narrative, it's a complete kind of retort, re response to... Um, to the identities that you know, the Arab identities that are dominant in relation to 9/11 and terrorism and so on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, beyond the fundamental thing of what it is, is a, is a struggle for liberation, you know, of, of of people across across the Arab world. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a point where your body has to be at the barricades. Uh -huh. Um. And, and without being crassly glib here, <laughs> how did your agent respond? I mean, I mean, oh, I mean <laughs> very, very, very uh, supportively. Really, uh, very supportively throughout throughout the whole yeah. throughout throughout the whole process. I mean, I mean, that's just what I'm getting at. Did you sense in the in the, in the essence of that? Did you feel this is a revolutionary moment? Uh, my 
future life and career may be shaped by things nothing to do with um, acting per se and, and maybe politics or, or nation building even at some level or, or, or was it too amorphous to really know where it was going to head? I mean, there was, I, I mean, you know, it's a real roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And the the speed at which time moves during a revolution is is extraordinary. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a whole other experience of time. Um, Was that but I mean, I guess I mean for me, it fundamentally comes down to this: I mean, from 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 1993, kite runner, mm -hmm. which is about Afghanistan, uh, green zone, about Iraq, mm -hmm. uh, in the last days of city, about Egypt. You know, all of this kind of stuff. I mean, fundamentally, in my in my Arab identity, I'm taking on these, you know, these big demons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there is a responsibility and a cause and something I'm fighting for. Yeah. If the opportunity then arises to be on the streets to actually make that happen as opposed to wish for it or, yeah. or try and make the story complex enough or, you know, more complex or yeah. for people to be able to understand it or whatever that, you know, yeah. then your body has to be on the line. Um, uh, and, and without that, I wouldn't be able to. I mean, this is a fundamental thing for me, I guess, is that in relation to the stuff that I do, which 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 has the whole of my identity in place, mm -hmm. I feel like I I have to have part of my life at stake as well. It's not just that I can be in someone from outside who's talking about it. I have to, I have to live the consequences of that. I have to I have to be part of it. And what was the most? Uh, what were the moments that were most? Uh, uh, terrifying, or sort of despair-inducing through that. I mean, cause there must have been a lot of exhilaration as well. I guess. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. If, uh, you want to start with the negative first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dramatist. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, uh, the beginning of the counter-revolution. I mean, right now is some of the most depressing time, mm -hmm. but the the real beginning of the counter-revolution was uh, was horrendous and you know really for us I mean it, you know it's all, uh, the revolution and counter-revolution are always they're always in a dance with each other even at the height of revolution but I guess the the real the real darkest moment was um, uh, you know was the Rabaul massacre on August fourteenth, two thousand and thirteen? We don't know how many people were killed. Uh, you know, estimates I think are somewhere between eight hundred and thousand five hundred or more mm -hmm. in in one day. Uh, and how did and you first hear about that? How how, how, how were you how, how were you first aware of that? Uh, in, in Egypt, I mean, how did that? How did you first know about that? Know about the massacre? Yeah. Oh no, I mean, the massacre was. Uh, uh, it wasn't. I mean, that there was a whole standoff mm -hmm. prior prior to it happening. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a massacre of the it was a massacre of the of the Muslim Brotherhood, mm. but it was in a sense the announcement. I mean, beyond how horrendous it was. Mm. It was, in a sense, the announcement that the stakes now are that if you're on the street or if you fight, we will kill you. Right. As opposed to uh, what it was before, mm -hmm. which was a, you know, a, a balance of, you know, a balance of, of movements and protest and elections and... Um, 
and yeah. it was a real it was a real change of the yeah. And how, I mean, obviously, we're while we're recording this, we're a few weeks away from an election here. Uh, there are a lot of theatre makers, radical theatre makers, uh, in this country who would like to see a more galvanised political artistic sensibility here, and mm. uh, particularly around theatre, but around performance in general and, and filmmaking. Um, having been through all that through so-called Arab Spring in Egypt, like what, what's what? How do you analyse here in this moment and both our cultural moment in terms of what our culture is in this country, uh, but also how that that relates to our political moment? I mean, I'm I'm excited mm -hmm. to you know I'm, I I don't feel like we're there yet. Mm -hmm. I haven't. I one of my frustrations at the moment, frankly, being in the UK, is I I I haven't felt that galvanised sense of community fighting for something. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it exists, and I haven't. Maybe it's my fault, and I haven't been around exactly mm -hmm. in the way that maybe I could have or should have been. But I'm but but I'm wasting. I'm I'm really wait. I feel you know it's clear we have big things to fight for. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to write those stories. Mm -hmm. and, I, and it's clear we have the ability, the talent, we have the infrastructure. I mean, that's one of the big things that you feel in the balance between, you know, a life here and a life somewhere like Egypt is the difference infrastructurally mm -hmm. in terms of your ability to tell stories and, and, and get them, you know, get them out there and seen. Mm -hmm. um, and also the meaning of public space, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and, you know, there are many things like that that we really take for granted, mm -hmm. right? You know, mm -hmm. uh, currently in Egypt, uh, you know, any, you know, any, any space that gathers more than 10 people can retrospectively be defined as public space mm -hmm. and therefore should have alerted authorities mm -hmm. before, before gathering in that space. Otherwise it can be subject to, mm -hmm. anyway, uh, you, you know, uh, it's, it's, and when you say you don't f quite feel it here yet, that sort of galvanizing energy, how did you how did you feel it in Egypt when you arrived? And then in that moment, what was it? Uh, collectivization around a certain point. I feel like uh, let me put it this way: I feel like here we're still kind of nostalgic for the moment before the fall. Right. right. I came back to I came back to the UK literally two days after the Brexit vote, <laughs> literally, mm -hmm. coming back from my time in Cairo to land, right, I, you know, the night before I was, as if I was already in the UK, I was watching the news as it came through mm -hmm. on my phone or whatever it was, mm -hmm. watching BBC and David Dimbleby. And, you know, I feel like we, it's as if we, it's as if we want to go, it's as if we, we want to go back to that moment and wish it was kind of okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I understand that impulse, mm -hmm. but everything that has brought this moment mm -hmm. um, really requires the really requires ex, it, it requires us to take extraordinary risks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and and I think you know, and I think a country like Britain has the capacity to do that because it has the it has it has the embedded infrastructures mm -hmm. to to allow it to turn those kinds of corners. Mm -hmm. How do you Because um, I suppose one of the things that's come out of the Brexit vote, and particularly sort of on the the liberal, dare I say, Almeida side, <laughs> um, is um, a healthy scepticism about the idea of nationalism and uh, uh, a negative set of associations around sort of patriotism and nationalism. But I suppose 
patriotism and nationalism was probably quite a big part, was it, of the Egyptian moment that you were... The idea that a country can define itself radically and positively as a nation, was that part of what was galvanising in Egypt? Or No. I mean, it's there, obviously, but it's not... You know, I mean, fundamentally there you're dealing with, uh, you know, a country where... I mean, there was this phrase which always, like, it always hits my heart, you know? The, the majority of the people, you know, it's a phrase that's often used, we are the walking dead, mm-hmm. you know? And when the majority of a country ha- has a position where it's really able to say that, and also where the social contract breaks down to the extent that, you know, for me, stability kind of exists in a situation where, okay, my life isn't great, but maybe my children's life will be better or, you know, okay, and if not them, then my grandchildren. When those three break down and you know that your grandchildren's children, who you find unimaginable, mm-hmm. are going to live a life worse than yours, mm-hmm. then you have the beginnings of revolutionary turbulence. Right. And that social contract also, to a certain extent, has broken down here. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. That's why we've got, in my opinion, you know, that's part of why we've got this kind of turbulence that's going on. And that is the, that's the fundamental, if you like, animus. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the political situation and its specificities um, in terms of you know, in terms of how people respond to it, but and then nationalisms come in and as part of it and mm. confuse it and at times push it forward and mm. uh, but but also you know Arab Spring right it's a solidarity movement across the entirety of the region mm-hmm. and remains so yeah. uh, countries that that are dealing with fundamentally a similar situation and you know for me in terms of this counter revolutionary mm. moment that we're living. Because, you know, 2011 is a wave that's not just in the Arab region, it's also across the world, and, you know, I think we can still see parts of it alive today, here. Um, uh, you mm. know, I think we're, in some ways, we're dealing with some of the same fundamental cancers mm-hmm. <laughs> but that just appear in different ways in, in different countries that, that, have their, that have their own specificity. So I, I, I very much so feel uh, a struggle that... I can be part of here, I can be part of there, and makes me feel those solidarities and connections. So, maybe to end with, what would you, thinking back to your Sons of Ulster <laughs> uh, boyhood, what would you say to um, maybe young people who are, who feel they've got storytelling in whatever form in their hearts, whether they're songwriters or actors or filmmakers, um, particularly maybe if they are from perceived sort of minority groups within this country about how to take your political self in the best sense into your work as you go out there to become a, I mean, should you, like, how do you lean into all that's good in that, do you think, and what do you wish in a way you could have said to yourself at 18 or whatever it was? I mean, on the one side, we need you. (laughs) And uh, it is immensely worth taking the risks. And it is, a, much as it might be a difficult journey, it's extremely fulfilling. Uh, on the other side, I would also say, uh, really be proud to be yourself mm. and bring that into a room. Um, because there is an immense pressure to perform an identity that you don't feel comfortable with and uh, that is projected onto you and a sense that you have to fulfill playing that role 
in order to get anywhere. And I think it's the exact opposite. Mm. And I think there are a lot of people that end up uh, massively hurt in their careers because you end up spending, you could spend 10 years or longer kind of trying to make that balance work and then finding that it's really hurt you and not being able to continue. Mm. Um, and that very often when you, when you bring that into a room or when you bring that to the people who are, you know, your comrades in work and the world that you wish to see, you, you know, you, you make extraordinary connections and very often it's far more welcome than you realise and that it's really worth having those difficult conversations. Great. Kind of, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Almeida Theatre Podcast. For more, head to almeida.co.uk forward slash explore.